0: I want to welcome everybody to the program today, BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. I am Drew DeGrotto, your host, and we have a very interesting, maybe technical, but I think it's a very interesting as well as technical topic today. Um, Let me bring the panelists in. We have Scott Smeltzer down in the Gettysburg, Pennsylvania area. How are you doing, Scott.
1: Drew, I am doing fine, other than I'm the one responsible for us getting in a little late.
0: That's quite all right. And uh, Jonathan is also with us from the same area, Gettysburg, Jonathan Saddle. How are you doing,
2: Jonathan? I'm doing good. Good to see you guys.
0: Great to see both of you. Okay, so um, if you're coming in from uh, using the BibleQuest.tv Zoom app, uh, you're a regular listener. You're already familiar with uh, the way it works, giving in your, your comments in the Q&A or chat window. Please do that. We want you to know, give us your comments and questions. We're broadcasting uh, live also uh, on Scott's Facebook page, right, Jonathan? Aren't we on Scott's Facebook? Yeah,
2: that's
0: right. So if you're coming in from that Facebook page, please also enter in your comments. We'll be monitoring both of these uh, sources. Um We're going to be talking about um, the translations uh, of of the Bible, the many different translations. A question came in. I'm not going to read the exact question, but the question came in that because there were so many translations, how can we know and be sure that we have an accurate translation? In our case, English, we we speak English. Uh, We want to know if we have an accurate translation. And so we can be sure of it. And, uh, Scott, you're going to go ahead and start bringing in – the information that we can know this for sure, right?
1: Okay, and as we go through, uh, Jonathan and Drew, you know, jump in with comments and questions, et cetera, that our viewers might have, and also our viewers. Uh, Please join in, and uh, if you have a comment or a question, and Drew, if you could explain to them how to do that.
0: If you're coming in on the Zoom app, hit the Q&A button that you'll see, uh, or the chat button, that'll either one will pop up a little window and you type in your question or comment there and we will see it. Um, If you're coming in on, like I said, I think it was on the Facebook page, uh, Scott, your Facebook page, they, they can just click the comment box that's underneath the live video. Now keep in mind coming in on the Facebook page, you're about 20 seconds behind the live broadcast. So if it looks like we're out of sync and your questions and comments, just bear with us on that.
1: All right, so let's get started on it. This is the question that we had submitted from a webcast viewer. They said, English modern Bibles have been translated too many times. There are too many versions with big enough differences to change the meaning. What agenda does each translation have? The average person, including me, cannot speak ancient Greek or Hebrew, Aramaic, so cannot understand the original. And so then they pose the question that maybe no one really knows what's going on. So that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And before we start looking at the answers, I want to make sure that everybody understands the question. Uh, And so let's start going through this. Uh, Now, when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans and he gave it to Phoebe and she took it to Rome, do we have that piece of, those pieces of, of of papyri that, or or parchment, whichever whichever he wrote on, that Phoebe carried and had Paul's handwriting at the end. Do we have that piece?
0: We do not have the original autographed, handwritten document.
1: Right, and that's just true generally of ancient documents across the board. The autographs are gone, Uh, and we'll see later that that's typical of ancient history. So what we have are copies and copies of copies of copies over the centuries. And then we also have translations. Uh, but in those copies, there are variations. And sometimes people talk about the number of variations in the manuscripts and they'll talk about the thousands of differences you know, uh, that we have in the manuscripts. So what we're doing right here is we're portraying the problem that the viewer is asking about because we want to understand the argument before we give the answer. So it is true that we've got all these different manuscripts. It is true that there are variations in the manuscripts and then there were different translations. It was translated into Latin, it was translated into Coptic. it was translated into Syriac. Later, much, much later it'll be translated into English and after the printing press and who invented the printing press? And about what time period? Gutenberg in what? Fifteenth, uh, sixteenth century. Uh, I think it was. I think it was fifteenth century. So the fourteen hundreds. Yeah, Johann Gutenberg, and the very first Bible he produces is a copy of the Bible. Uh, I think he did that in Latin. But Tyndale is the guy that printed with the printing press, <coughs> or had it printed. The first english bible on a printing press but of course not many of us have the Tyndale version there's other versions uh, there's later King James authorized the King James version in 1611 and by the way when people talk about that being the authorized version what does that mean
0: uh the king a human being the king Henry uh, yeah King James right. authorized it to be written in English
1: right. uh, for the church of England Uh, Now, Jews, they did not translate the New Testament. They didn't accept that Jesus was Christ, but they had the Old Testament, and they have translated their Hebrew text into English so that the Jewish Publication Society produces an English translation of the Masoretic text. Um, What is the Masoretic text? It is a text... Done by a, a school of scribes known as Masoretes, and uh, the, the the primary document that we have from them is uh, a very ancient manuscript uh, from about a thousand A.D. called Codex Leningrad. Now it wasn't called Leningrad when it was written, of course. It's a beautiful manuscript from about a thousand A.D. That's still a thousand years after Jesus. But that's what the King James authors would have used, that Masoretic text, for their Old Testament. Well, then you also have the Catholic Church had the Douay-Rheims version from the Latin. Uh, then later you have the American Standard version. Then you have the Revised Standard, the New American Standard, the NIV, the New King James, the ESV, which I, I, I like. And then, of course, there's Bibles in Hindu and Arabic and uh uh, uh, Russian and different thing Chinese and so the question is wow with all these copies with all these variations with all these translations with all these versions how can anybody know what it really said and that's the question that the uh, viewer is asking any comments or thoughts on that before we start looking at the solutions
0: I want to emphasize uh, you had said that the um... Masoretic text is from around thousand or eleven hundred AD, right?
1: Right, that's right. That's uh, it's either one thousand and four or one thousand and nine. Okay, AD. so that's that have, uh,
0: I'm I'm gonna, I'm not gonna answer, explain why, but that would have been the oldest or the the oldest translation of a Hebrew Bible that we had a thousand years after Christ. But that's even longer that after exactly. Moses wrote the law.
1: Right, right, right. So we're going to find out later how accurate it is, even though it's much later. We're going to see an example of that. Uh, There was also another one that was a little bit older, like maybe, I don't know, 40 years or so, but that one I think got destroyed in World War II. Uh, But the Codex Leningrad, which if you want to look it up online, beautiful manuscript uh, from about a thousand years ago. But as we said, a thousand years after the time of Christ. But we're going to find out something really, really interesting later because, Drew, we're going to be looking at a Hebrew manuscript that's not a thousand years after Christ. It's actually going to be what?
0: About 150 to 200 years before Christ.
1: Yeah, and that's what we're going to look at in a minute.
0: Now, um, wait a minute. Let me, let me clarify that. This is a copy of an older, older original because we don't have the originals of it in it, but yet it's a copy that's a thou- hundred to 200 years before jesus was even born so that's that's old
1: yeah. so it's 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 giving us a jump backwards of more than 1100 years and we're going to look at the amazing similarity in isaiah 53 between those two manuscripts
0: well why would it, why would you say amazing similarities
1: because somebody might assume that over all those centuries there would be a whole bunch of changes
0: especially and, if there was agendas or conspiracies yeah. to change things
1: yes uh, and to be fair, there are some books where there are more differences than others. We're going to choose Isaiah 53. Why? Why is Isaiah 53 a significant passage?
0: Well, it's a prophecy of the Messiah.
1: Yeah. And the, uh, the prophecy of the death of the Messiah that brings us salvation. All right. So with the, with the problem posed that the reader uh, kind of reflects the reader's question, Now let's start getting the solutions. And we're going to answer it in four ways, Uh, and then a little bit more on the fourth one. But I need to speed up here for sake of time. All right, first off, we're going to consider this question, uh, is more versions better or worse when you want to understand something? Secondly, we're going to do an intro to biblical manuscripts. Thirdly, we're going to show that the evidence for the New Testament documentation far, 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 far surpasses documentation for secular historical documents that we accept and use. And then fourthly, we're gonna let the audience see for themselves. We're gonna show you how you can actually go back and look at manuscripts from before the time of Jesus and not that long after the time of Jesus that you can look at for yourself online. And you say, yeah, but I don't know Greek or Hebrew. We're gonna show you how to look at the words, find out what the words are, and then compare them and see how they're used. You can do this. So if you want to do some digging, you can do that. Now, what you're going to find is that if you've got a good Bible translation, it's already done a good job of that for you. But for those wondering, how would I know, we're going to show you how to do it. Any comments before we go ahead? Go right ahead. All right, so question number one, multiple versions, all these translations, all these versions, so Drew, You recently traveled to what country? Uh, Italy, where my uh,
0: ancestors uh, were from.
1: The land of your ancestors. Now, while you were there, suppose you got to doing some research at a library or, or, or something or spoke to someone and you found and you were able to track down a letter, a handwritten letter by, and maybe a copy of a handwritten letter, but it's by your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And it's a long letter with a history of your family. And it tells, you know, the heroic things they did, the challenges they faced, you know, how they played into history at the time, told what lands they had, and told where they buried the treasures and the gold and, and, and the various items. Would you be interested in that document?
0: Well, I never found such a letter, but if I found one, I'd be interested. It, yeah but 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 I think you're leading to something here.
1: Yeah, if you find that and it's Italian, uh now I don't know, maybe you speak Italian. Do you speak Italian?
0: No, I wish I did. I couldn't speak with anybody over there.
1: <laughs> so, it's written it's written say in 1400s or 1500s Italian, okay? And you can't read it. So you go to a guy and uh back here in New Jersey and say, "Hey, can you read Italian?" and he says, Let's hear a good Jersey accent for, yeah, he can read Italian.
0: <laughs> I, I've been away from Jersey for four years. I don't know if I can go back. Okay.
1: All right. oh, <laughs> say, yeah, I can read Italian. So he writes out a translation of for poem. Okay, we're done. If somebody else, if a professor over here or there, or a linguist that studied older documents and stuff, if, they, if there's somebody that knows Italian better than this guy, you don't want to have anybody else translate it because that would be confusing to have multiple versions. So you're just the first guy from New Jersey that translates before you're done, right?
0: Well, what if he, he misquoted something?
1: So it might be nice if you had a professor translate it or another guy or, or a, a curator at a museum, you know, that deals with that era of thing and have three or four or five people translate it Would that be valuable to you? Would it be?
0: Much more valuable because now I'd have independent translations. I can then say, oh, this is really now I see the whole picture.
1: Yeah, yeah. yes, yes. So if you would want that for this hypothetical letter, then for the most important book of all time, for the text that has affected history more than any other, for the best selling book of all time, doesn't it make sense that it should have been translated by a number of experts over and over? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that's a good thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, point number two, uh, let's do a brief introduction to biblical manuscripts. So our first printed Bible on the Gutenberg printing press, and there is a picture of it. That's a Gutenberg Bible. Um, and so Gutenberg invented the printing press. And so before this, how did, how did biblical manuscripts have to be produced before the printing press?
2: Manually copy, handwritten.
1: Yeah, handwritten. Somebody hand writes Paul's letters and makes a copy of them, and somebody else makes a copy of those all by handwritten, and you'll have, uh, you know, schools where a person's calling out and other people are writing down. Everything had to be written by hand. But with Gutenberg, they could set the printing and then, and then ink it and stamp it out, and then, boom, there's a page of the Bible, and then another one and another one, et cetera. So the printing press was a big advantage there in the 1450s, and there it is. But how do they know what text to use? Well, he was actually using, I think, the Latin Vulgate. But uh, how do we know what's before 1450? Well, we have from the ninth century onward, this is what the King James is mostly based on. From the ninth century onward, um, there were manuscripts called minuscoles. And the minuscule manuscripts, they're written on parchment or vellum, which is like dried animal skin. It's very, very durable. Uh, It's usually written in a pretty nice script, and it's kind of a lowercase cursive, all right? And some of these are biblical manuscripts, like, say, the four Gospels, or maybe Luke Acts, or maybe um, the letters of Paul, or something like that. And I'm, I'm focusing here on New Testament manuscripts. Uh, and written in Greek. So we've got those, plus we've got lectionaries. Lectionaries are handwritten collections of biblical texts to be read on Sundays and that type of thing. Any questions so far? No. All right. So here's what this looks like up close, okay? And you can see it's kind of a cursive, lowercase type writing, which was the style from, you know, 900s, ten hundreds, 1100s, or uh, 10 hundreds, you know, et cetera at that time, 1200s, et cetera. All right, um, here's on the left, a n- biblical manuscript. It's minuscule 481 from the 10th century. So that would be from the 900s. And that's the opening of the Gospel of Luke. On the right is a lectionary. And so this is a collection of various biblical passages. Uh, and that's uh, open to Matthew chapter five, so that's the, from the Sermon on the Mount. We've got over 3,000 of this first type, the miniscles of, of Bible books, and we've got about 2,500 of these lectionaries. So you put that together, and we've got over 5,000 manuscripts from the ninth century onward. Now, there's a problem with that, though. That's kind of late, isn't it? Mm-hmm. All right.
2: 900 years.
1: Yeah, so when the King James Bible was done, it was basically based on about, primarily about half a dozen of these uh, from around, I don't remember, 10th, 11th century, that type of thing, maybe a little bit of 12th. Uh, And we have the biblical text from there, from these manuscripts. But since then, we've gotten better and older manuscripts. So this guy is Kodak, this is uh, Tischendorf, and he is going and looking for ancient biblical manuscripts. And in his travels, he goes down into this ancient monastery uh, in, in, over there in the Middle East. And he finds some documents in a basket where he can tell it's really, really ancient writing. And he, he goes back there again. And he keeps trying to find out more about this. Finally, one of the monks says, I've got one of these. And he takes him. Uh, to his little room and he pulls back a little curtain and hands him an ancient book that is in, this is, uh, uh, I forgot the name of the monastery. Do you either, you remember St. Catherine? I don't. Monastery. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think so this is This is
1: around 1850. And lo and behold, look at that beautiful print there on vellum. And this is a different style of writing. It's an older style of writing. This is called uncials. Uh, or maybe unseals Uh, I read the word more than hear it Uh, but you can see there it's more of a block not cursive uppercase type effect and guess what this document is from the 300s maybe as early as 330 to maybe about 360 AD so before we were talking about documents from 800s 900s 1000 1100 1200s Now we're looking at something from the 300s, so much closer to the time of Christ. And we've got other uncials as well. Here's one from 200 AD. You know, that's over 100 years closer, uh, maybe just 100 years after the death of John or so. Now this one, you know, it's been damaged, but that's a section of Acts chapter five, all right? And this is an excellent condition codex, codex Sinaiticus, that's the one Tischendorf found. And that's from Matthew chapter 6. So we've got other of these also. And they range from about the 3rd to the 10th century. And guess what? We've got about 300 of those. So that's pretty cool. But guess what? We have been, we've gotten back even earlier. Because in starting around 1897, they started discovering papyri. What's the difference between papyri and say, parchment vellum? Papyri was made from a plant. Yeah, yeah. So they would take uh, the reed of the papyrus plant, and they would kind of uh, put it sideways and up and down and mash it flat. And it makes for kind of a paper-like substance, but over the years it gets kind of brittle. And uh, the papyri, Uh, like here's a very, very early fragment. This is from the 100s. So the Gospel of John is written late in the first century. This could be as early as 125. So it might be within, say, 30 or 40 years of the time that John wrote the original. And that's a little bit of John 18. It's on one side, part of verse 30 through 33, and on the reverse, 37 through 38. Here's a better preserved piece of papyri and this is P 75 and it's from the Gospel of Luke and it's also got some of the Gospel uh, of uh, John in it, but not this page. Uh, and this is from about 200 AD, although a few people proposed some later dates, but traditionally this has been when this has been dated. Now, these were not even around at the time of the King James Bible, and some of these were not discovered until the 1900s, a lot of these papyri. And so this is moving us back even earlier, back to as early as the second century in the 100s. And guess what? We've got 139 of these. So that's a lot of manuscripts, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So between five and 6,000 manuscripts, some as early as maybe 125 to 200, how does that compare with secular historical documents? Well, let's do that comparison now. Uh, Tacitus, how do, how do we know about Roman history? Who are some of the uh, Roman historians that their records help us know about Roman history?
0: Well, the most famous one is Tacitus, I think. I would consider him the most famous one, and very accurate. He's the one that wrote the Annals of Rome.
1: So Tacitus was a senator and a historian, um, and he uh, he's one of the historians that we have to tell us about the time. Suetonius is another one, and Julius Caesar. Uh, he also recorded uh, about some of his events. But the documents that we have of Julius Caesar, we don't have the autographs. We don't have the originals. And the first copies that we have are hundreds of years later before you get the first copy. And then uh, it's, you're just going to see a huge, huge difference. We'll use Tacitus to illustrate it. So Tacitus wrote around 117 AD or so uh, might've been three years earlier. I don't recall right now, but roughly about that time. And he wrote 16 books in that we call the annals of Tacitus. Now, Some of it, and they cover this time period here. He's recording uh, kind of the lives and times of, of the Caesars, okay? And so he goes back to, in that yellow triangle that we got going up, the left side of the triangle. So he tells about Caesars before Jesus and all the way to sometime after Jesus, but before Tacitus. That's the time period that he's reporting in history. And so you've got a gap between when he wrote and when the events happened uh, to, for the oldest events, he's it's about 103 years ago that he's recording this history. And of course he's looking at documents from history before him. And the most recent events are about 47 years before he wrote. That's our event gap for Tacitus. Also, we're missing a bunch of his books. And some of the other books are partially missing. But of books one through four and part of five, here's, the how many manuscripts we have. Ready? One.
0: Oh, I thought you were gonna say thousands
1: or hundreds. No. One. We have one manuscript. And when is it from? About 850 AD. But that's how we know what Tacitus said from this manuscript, you know, from 850 AD. One manuscript. Well, let's take a look at the second section. Uh, books 11 through 16 with some gaps, this section here. These we have from one manuscript, about 1,050. And then there were a few more manuscripts copied from that manuscript. So look at the the time between the events, the ancient historian, and then our first copy. For the first section of the uh, Annals of Tacitus, we're looking at it like 800 or better years between when it happened in our first document. For the second section, we're looking at over a thousand years. Does that mean that we should say we don't know anything about Roman history?
0: No, no no, no. one does, no one says that.
1: All right, and, and, and if we were looking at uh, Caesar's Gallic Wars, you'd be seeing something similar. You know, a few manuscripts from hundreds and hundreds of years later. Now, let's look at the death of Christ. The first epistle, the first letter that we have from the Apostle Paul is First Thessalonians. And he talks about the death of Jesus in chapter 2. He's writing that around 50 AD. Jesus died around 30 AD. So what's our event gap between the death of Jesus and when we have Paul's first letter referring to
0: it? Less than 20 years.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's about 20 years. Uh, and so then... What's our gap between when Paul wrote it and our first document? About 150 years. You see how that compares when we look at secular history?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, Documents are closer to the event.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And now somebody might say, well, you were talking before about like, um, manuscripts like the Masoretic text that's still a thousand years after Jesus well we can go back before Jesus and look at a manuscript which we're about to do but first I can't see the time right now what time are we at
0: it's 2 30
1: almost okay. 2:30. All, right. all right Drew's gonna bring up for us and show you how to do this and I'm gonna stop my share in just a second uh And in uh, in just a second, I'll turn it over to Drew, and then we're going to turn it over to Jonathan. Let me tell you what they're going to do. Drew is going to take you to a website that you can go to yourself, and you can look at a Hebrew manuscript online from before the time of Jesus. Not a 1,000 years after, like we were talking about before, but in the 1940s, they discovered near the Dead Sea a scroll of Isaiah, a complete scroll of Isaiah in good condition from well before the time of Jesus. And they put it online and you can look at it for yourself. Drew's going to show you how to do that. Then Jonathan is going to show you how to do the same thing for Codex Sinaiticus. So after this, I think, and if you do this a little bit, I think you'll realize Oh, we've got manuscripts we look at and translators have done a good job of translating. But if you want to know how could anybody know without reading Hebrew or Greek, we're going to show you how, if you want to take a verse and look at it yourself, you can. It takes a little work, a little bit of research, but you can look and see what the words are and uh, you can look up online and see how that word is used to see what it meant. And it's really cool. And that's what we're about to show you. So Drew, Uh, why I'm going to stop share here and why don't you introduce us to the great Isaiah scroll discovered in 1940s. Uh, Let me see if I can
0: hit this. Come on. There we go. That's two. All right. So this is a website I did a search on for, um, Dead Sea Scrolls, English to uh, uh, Hebrew to English Dead Sea Scrolls. And, and I found this site, uh, and it's, it's thanks to Google working with um, the Israel Museum. It's an it's Israeli uh, Hebrew scholarship organization working with Google to provide this for the world to see the actual document. So we're opening up here to just one section of it, but the whole can scroll. You, can you enlarge
1: that for us, Drew? Oh, make yeah. It. Yeah, let's see if I can make it. And let it. me say something about how people can find this. All you got to do is Google Dead Sea Scrolls Online. <laughs> or but, better, put, Great Isaiah Scroll Online. and it'll take I'll, put, you. I'll put the link of this website in the uh, X- Facebook page as well. X- great. Right. great, great, great. This is a scroll, and Drew is about to roll through the scroll and get us to that 53rd chapter of Isaiah. The numbers at the bottom are page numbers because these are pages sewn together. And he's going to use that to get us to about page 44. And that's going to give us Isaiah 53. There we go. So that's 51.
0: Let me go one more over. 53. go one more over. they They go from right to left, unlike English. Okay, here we go. Verse...
1: That's chapter 54. Oh, there we go. 53. All right, go up a little bit more. And can you scroll so that's in the middle of it for us? Put that in the middle. Yeah. All right. So we're looking at Isaiah 53. Go to verse four for us, Drew. Now, that right there, um, and can you zoom in on it a little bit?
0: Yeah. Yeah, let's see if I can do that.
1: Down on your lower right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So that right there, you're looking at the handwriting of a copy of the book of Isaiah made 150 or more years before Jesus. So maybe 150, maybe 200, somewhere back in there. Uh, don't We don't have the date exact, but somewhere in that ballpark. And that's handwriting written, you know, over 100 years before Christ. And click on that verse, and we're going to re- read an English translation of what that says right there.
0: Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I
1: don't know. Why did it go to the right? Let's try it again. You know, and this goes to words like scroll, scroll left, scroll right. It's because this is what people used to do. <laughs> scroll, left, scroll right. Yeah. Now you, with that hand, you can move it up, uh, up, uh, not that one. The but it, hand, lo- it
0: one. loses it. When I, I do that, it
1: there. loses it. There we go. All right. All right. Ah, so why scroll. does it do that? Put your hand, get down toward the bottom of it, go to the bottom and now... No, no, a little bit higher, just a little bit higher, just right there. Now, scroll right. But when I do that,
0: it erases it. It's uh, Okay. Let me go back up. All
1: right, go ahead and click on verse four.
0: Now it's not doing anything. It was working fine before. Let me start over. I might have it zoomed in on the wrong method. Hold on. Let me do it this way, and let me hit the plus button this way. That's better now, go back to around page forty four now it's not uh, giving me the highlight
1: okay well, people at home you can fiddle around with this and you can do it and here's what's gonna be amazing all right The differences so the Masoretic text that we talked about before from a thousand a d you can compare that i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna compare it for you
0: there we go, I got it.
1: There we go. All right. And so look at there. Surely he has borne our sufferings and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. Now you can look in your Bible and you'll see how similar your Bible is to this. Now you may see that instead of borne our sufferings, it might yours might say carried our sufferings. That's just a difference of in translation. Instead of sufferings, some translations might have what? Griefs? Griefs, yeah, or sorrows or something. That's just translation. It's kind of like this. Let me illustrate translation like this. Suppose you're translating something from ancient Italian or Latin or uh, Hebrew, and it's referring to a little flow of water going through, you know, the forest, and the flow of water is about 8 to 10 to 20 feet wide. What English word are you going to pick? for that flow of water, 15 feet wide?
2: Blood? Uh,
1: A river? I probably wouldn't go with river for 15 feet wide. Creek? Creek? Creek. What about stream? What about Broke? Broke. Broke. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, one fella translates it. So let's go back to our document of Drew's hypothetical thing, of Ancestor. He said, we buried it by a little, and there's an the Italian word for a small tributary of water. One of your translators translates it brook. One translates it stream, one translates it creek. Same idea, either way. So your English Bible may vary a little bit, but the Hebrew on this text is almost the same. Between verse four, five, and six, click and show verse five for us also, Drew, and then read that for us, please.
0: Verse 5, out of the ancient Hebrew. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that made us whole was upon him, and by his bruises we are healed.
1: And then verse 6.
0: 6. All we all we, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.
1: Okay. Now, your Bible in English might have picked a different synonym. But the Hebrew in verse six, this is exactly the same between the Masoretic text of more than 1,100 years later and this text from before the time of Christ. Same words. Now go back to verse four. We do have a difference in verse four. Here's the difference. This says, Surely he has borne our sufferings and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. Now I'm going to tell you what the Masoretic text says. Over a thousand years later, over a thousand years later, here's what they missed. I'm going to read it slowly. You watch long. From a thousand years later, it says, surely he has borne our sufferings and carried our sorrows Yet, we considered him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. Did you catch the difference?
0: Major, major discrepancy. The word and (laughs) is missing in front of the word struck
1: yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, if I'm going to the store and I say, what do you want me to get? Bertina says, eggs, milk, cheese. Eggs, milk, and cheese? No, no, no. He said the word and. It was eggs, milk, cheese. Oh, glad we straightened that out. Um, That's the total difference in verse 4. Go to verse 5. Twice as many differences in verse Uh 5. Uh-oh. Before the time of Christ, he was wounded, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that made us whole was upon him and by his bruises we are healed. Over 1,100 years later, It doesn't have two of the ends. From 1100 years later it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that made us whole was upon him, and by his bruises we are healed. Now again, there's places where the distinctions are bigger, but we picked this very profound and important passage from this great manuscript that's in such good condition. So but realize when people were talking about the thousands of differences in manuscripts, we just showed you four within three verses. And in this case, they were all what? Minor, the word and. The word and. Uh, if you're looking at Romans 1, you get to verse 4. One of the differences in the manuscripts, when it says Jesus was the son of David, some manuscripts spell it David, uh, David, and some of them spell it David. So sometimes it's just an issue of spelling. Most of the differences are minor. All right. Well, we're getting short on time here, so let's jump over to Jonathan. And Jonathan, show us how to do Codex Sinaiticus. Um,
2: yeah. So uh, you can go to this website
1: here CodexSinaiticus.org.
2: Yeah, CodexSinaiticus.org,
1: right here. Um, and yeah uh, here, Jonathan? What's that? What passage do we have here?
2: Yeah, so I pulled up. Um, you can go through really the whole Bible. Um, all of it is right here. Um, but I have First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Um, and I'll zoom in just a little bit so that you can see the manuscript at the top. Um, it's chapter 1, verse 1 starts um, right at the top of it um, and so, uh, the first word, if you're looking in your Bible, it's really uh, probably almost the same in an English Bible that you're looking at right now, um, but it also has the English translation down here, um, at the bottom part, um, so you can click over here, um, on the transcription of the Greek, um, and it'll highlight in the Greek text, the actual Codex Sinaiticus, where the word is, so in the Uncials, um, there's also, it's difficult to read Greek, at least for me, um, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but there are no spaces in Greek, all of them are jammed together, but right, right. Um, um so you'll see that. But this first word right here um is uh, Paulus,
1: which is the name Paul. Um and let me explain something that. there. If, if you okay. remember math class, the the letter pi, you know, mm-hmm. one four whatever, mm-hmm. the letter pi is from the Greek alphabet, and that's mm-hmm. that first letter there. It correlates yep. to our P. And go yep. go through the characters. So there's pi, P. The next one is A. Can you see how that's similar to an A? Mm -hmm. Then the next one that looks like a Y, your mind just spread it out, take off the Mm -hmm. tail, spread it out. That's how they wrote the letter U. The next one is lambda. That's L. And then there's the ending of masculine nouns. When they're the subject, they have an os on the end. So this is polos. If... Mm -hmm. If it was a different part of speech, Paul would have a different ending on it. But because it's the subject here and it, it, it's it's and it's singular, it's Paulus. So mm-hmm. up there on the right, we see Paulus, and it's translated as Paul. Paul. Oh. Right, now take us through some yeah, more words. Yeah. Then we got the next word, Kai, which is
2: the um, uh, the word for and, the Greek word for and. So there's Kai right there. Kai in the. Uh, transcript and then in the translation and then you got the next name um sylvanus um right here which also ends in the same os right um and that was a longer name for uh, silas who was a traveling companion of paul and you got another and and
1: timotheus there's <laughs> the timothy which is timothy yeah timothy. yeah. and you know so, most people can be able to look and see the tim there in fact the t-i-m-o in timotheus. Yeah, 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 and then you've got um, two, which in the
2: Greek almost kind of looks like the, um, but it's two. That, that's the, uh, yeah.
1: the the the, or two the yes. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. The the two is set up in the grammar of the words, but that mm-hmm. next word is yeah. the, and yeah, then and
2: then ecclesia, the church, um, which right here ecclesia, ecclesia, and that's church, um, there
1: um, and Thessalonians. <laughs> Thessalonians. Yeah. So you can look right on there. Now you might say, yeah, but I don't know what those words mean. So do we have two? Oh, we've got one minute left. Let's see if we can do this real quick. Uh, I'm going to share now and we're going to go to blue letter Bible. This is a site. Uh, it's free. Uh, and I like to use it a lot. If we go to blue letter Bible let's just go to First Thessalonians. Can everybody see my screen? yep yes mm-hmm. all right, so I'm going to go to First Thessalonians chapter one. I'm going to choose the e s no let's just go with King James for a particular reason uh First Thessalonians one, and so there we've got the text Paul and Sylvanus Timothy to the Church of the Thessalonians, et cetera. Now look over here, I can go to tools and click on interlinear now, what it's going to show me here there's that Greek text that he just read for us. This is the Greek text that the King James translators were working with from those menu schools. And look down here. Here's the Greek text uh, based on studying the uncials and the papyri as well, okay? And then here's where it breaks down word by word. So if you wanna know, yeah, but what did that word mean? Well, let's take the word Church, ecclesia. Okay, and you can click on it and it will show you everywhere in the Bible that that word is used. Uh, you are Peter upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. If a fellow sins and he won't repent, you need to tell it to the ecclesia. Uh, in Acts 2, uh, and on and on, fear came upon the church, the ecclesia. And look at this, this is interesting. Good way to finish most of the time in the Bible. Ekklesia means a group of people that belong to God, but it was just a word that meant group of people. So, for instance, in Acts 19, when the pagan idol worshippers are yelling, "Great is Diana!" Of the Ephesians, some cried one thing, some another, for the assembly was confused. Ekklesia, there it is. And then the town clerk stands up and he says, "Listen, if you got a problem, that should be handled in a lawful ekklesia." And when he said this, he dismissed the ecclesia. Uh, let's, take, let's go over just a minute here. We start a minute late to, to see this. Here we go to Acts 19, and here's this riotous mob uh, that are yelling, great is Diane of the Ephesians, and the assembly was in confusion. And we're going to see it right there. There is the word right there. The ecclesia was in confusion. So that group of people, it's an assembly. That's what the word means. So when Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, it's Paulus and Silvanus and Timotheus to the assembly of Thessalonians that belong to God and Jesus Christ. And so this way, if you want to know what a word means, you can actually go and see how that word was used throughout the New Testament. Now, you don't have to do that every time you want to read a Bible because we've got translators that have already done this work for you. But if you want to double check it, you can. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And and let's just finish with this. Translations I would recommend, uh, New American Standard is good. ESV is good. I like the old ASV as well. Um, NIV has some Calvinistic tendencies. Maybe we'll talk about that another day. But one of the beauties is we've got more than one translation and we've got now you're able to online go and look at these ancient manuscripts yourself.
0: Excellent. So the bottom line is because we have so many manuscripts from so long ago, we can make the comparisons and see where the differences are, which there aren't that many, they're not major differences, but then look at the different words as have been translated. Scott, really great. I really appreciate uh, the the work you put into this. I hope this answered the question. That our viewer had. And if anyone else in the audience has further questions, please text us, go to BibleQuest.tv, fill out the question form on that website page, and let us know what your thoughts are. We appreciate it. Anything else before we go, guys?
1: I'm just gonna read the original question, and I think it'll help to think about what we just looked in light of it. But okay. they said English modern Bibles have been translated too many times. There are too many versions, big enough differences to change the meaning. What agenda does each translation have? The average person, including me, can't speak ancient Greek or Hebrew, So we can't understand. No one really knows what's going on. And we just showed that you can look at the manuscripts yourself, and you can you can see how those words were used in the ancient documents. Thank you.